Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. We should also look at the fact that we've made a ton of progress and and it's because there's a lot of awesome people, many of whom listen to this podcast every week, who work have worked every single day to make that happen. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. Welcome back to Suncast. I am always so amazed that you have dedicated this bit of time out of your week to lend me your earballs and the only non-renewable resource that you possess and that is your time i do not take that for granted i haven't now for 300 episodes and the story that you're going to hear today takes us back to the very beginning mr adam james was the first interview guest here on suncast and it is a distinct honor to bring him back now for his third appearance here on Suncast. In that time, Adam has risen to the position of Chief of Staff at Energy Impact Partners, which is a nearly $700 million strategic venture investing fund focused on sustainable energy. Some of you might recall that Adam in episode 117 had just joined his Green Tech Media alumnus, Shale Khan, over at Energy Impact Partners. And today he is going deep down the rabbit hole of how Adam helps to run this very impactful fund in our industry, as well as a little baby of his called the Clean Energy Leadership Institute, upon which he sits as a board chair and as co-founder of that nonprofit, which empowers young professionals in clean energy. Adam and I have a long history. Obviously, he was episode number one. He's a deep friend in the industry, and he is someone that I am so honored to call friend and have in my network, and you get to have him in yours, at least for the next 60 minutes. This is going to be a two-part episode. Adam and I rambled on for about an hour and 45 minutes. We're going to split that up into two episodes, so you'll enjoy part one here where Adam and I reminisce, kind of go down memory lane a little bit. We talk about what was the world economy like and the CO2 levels back in 2015 when we launched Suncast. And in the next episode, we get really deep into his daily routine, how he manages his calendar, how he manages his schedule. Adam kind of gives all about how he balances a family of three and being the effectively right hand of the CEO of this major venture fund. It's a wide ranging, but very fun conversation. I hope that you'll stick around and enjoy it. And if you've listened to more than a couple of these interviews, all 300 and such of them, then you're probably familiar that over at mysuncast.com, you can find more founder stories and startup advice. You can sign up for our newsletter where I drop tidbits of information about what I find interesting going on in the industry and how we're trying to help you take the next level of skills assessment and generally try to be of use in your inbox. 
You can also subscribe in whatever podcast player it is that you are listening to. And that helps not only you know when we drop the next episode, but it also helps others find us in those podcast players. So I'd encourage you to do that. Would you please? For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, as promised, episode 300, 300 chances for you to grow yourself, your career, your livelihood. For those of you who've been around since the beginning, thank you. Uh, You clearly have nothing else to do. (laughs) I'm really honored that, as I say every week, you spend the only non-renewable resource you have, which is your time, here with us. And uh, today I am bringing back for the third time on the show, the guy who helped me kick it all off back in, uh, we actually recorded in September, 2015. Adam James, welcome back to Suncast. Thank you for having me, Nico. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm stoked too. And I I won't say I never thought I'd get to 300 because I always thought I'd get to 300. I said, I'll do 3000. I'll do maybe 10,000. Who knows? But this is for me a momentous occasion. Uh, I was thinking about, and we were just sort of looking at some fun things. And then you took, you made it, you, you got real all of a sudden, but we were looking at kind of what happened in September, 2015, when we first recorded episode one, before we jump into like some current events type things, not, not current now, but then I'm curious, do you remember when I first proposed the idea that we do a podcast? I do. I do. I was walking around in my yard in South Bend and trying to figure out if you were crazy or a genius or both. <laughs> but 300 episodes later, I guess a little of both. It's been, it's been settled. Yeah, L- it was L- both. Yeah, a little of both. I remember as well. For those who haven't been following along, Adam and I are good friends, been friends for, I'd say, like seven, eight years. We traveled Latin America together. I remember fondly talking about the idea of doing something together, uh, sitting on a balcony or a patio in Panama City. Uh, We've spent countless trips and hours in Latin America as Adam was the analyst for Latin America for Green Tech Media. And I, during that time, was both the regional manager for Trina Solar and then senior project developer focused on Latin America with Conergy. And we were always getting on the phone and I never will forget, I've said this to a number of folks because they ask, when was was the inception moment? The inception moment for this podcast was standing in a conference room in Miami, uh, actually in Aventura, in the Conergy offices. And you and I were on the phone for yet another 30 or 40 minute conversation where you were asking thoughtful questions about Latin America. I was asking thoughtful questions about who all you were talking to and what, what kind of insights you were gleaning. And I stopped and said, man, we should record this. And you said, you're crazy. The reality is that you were at the time, you were at Green Tech Media. You were trying to decide if you wanted to stick around there or where your career was going to go. We'll talk a bit or maybe a lot about where it's gone and, and why today. But that was the moment where I realized I'm in so many of these phone calls that nobody will ever listen to again. And there were really, really smart people like Adam James And I really want to be able to provide this peek behind the curtain, this peek peering into the black box that is uh, solar at its at its pivotal moment. I mean, twenty we're talking twenty fifteen. Adam and I had been friends, you know, since twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, when the market was in its veritable hockey stick moment. And 
it was fun times. It was really fun times. Now, one sobering thought today as we go to CO2.earth and look at the sobering fact that right now we are at 414.38 parts per million in July of 2020. I think it said something like today or September we're 414. Yes. So we're at 414. I guess that's the last known number reported here. And to give you some context, in 2015, September, when we recorded our very first episode, we were at 397.63. So the earth hasn't gotten cooler in all the work that we're doing is trying to counterbalance that. Adam, what do you remember from September 2015? Yeah, I mean, it feels like we were so, we were all so young then, 2015. Uh, you know, you just you look back at even just what's happened in the year 2020, and it, it feels like a decade has passed in the last nine months alone. Yeah, we were recapping a few of the big news events from that year, and you know, it, for me, it was actually one of the first years where, for example, the California wildfires were really on my radar. I mean, I, obviously, California's had a wildfire problem for long, long time, but that was the first year when they, you know, declared the state of emergency. I just remember that being something that started stick, really sticking out to me. Uh, and now it has been the case every year since, you know, that was one thing that was, I was thinking back about, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about when it comes to, you know, just five years in is just how much progress has been made in the world of clean energy. Sometimes I, I pause now and I, I look at just where the dialogue is at and I feel so, so grateful because it is just so much further along than it was even just five years ago. You know, there's things like, you know, the idea that solar energy is just cheap and it is good and it is the right choice is basically an established fact, you know, whereas in 2015, there would still be occasional debates about whether or not any of that was true. And so it's good. I mean, I think that although some things are getting much worse and much harder, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, the world can feel like it's on fire and we're starting to actually have feel and experience some of those climate impacts every single day in really big ways. We also have, we should, we should also look at the fact that we've made a ton of progress and and it's because there's a lot of awesome people, many of whom listen to this podcast every week, who work have worked every single day to make that happen. Yeah, I was looking back at uh, the Renewable Energy Data Book, one I'm sure you uh, were mm-hmm. looking into uh, in 2014, 2015, 2016, as you were an analyst of the industry. And renewable energy, renewable electricity grew 16.7% of total installed capacity. And 13.8% of total electricity generation. I think it was the first year that we saw that renewables accounted for the largest portion of capacity additions. It was 64% of US electricity capacity additions that year compared to 54% in 2014. And 15 gigawatts of coal-fired power plants were retired. So I haven't looked at the uh, at the guidebook for 2020, but we were already on a tear. Now, what's interesting is not what was happening in the United States per se, because Adam, you and I were covering Latin America. And one interesting tidbit is that Adam wrote a report for Green Tech Media called the LATAM Solar, was it the LATAM Solar Report? LATAM Solar Playbook? The playbook, the playbook. Right, but you had a weekly or monthly newsletter called Mm -hmm. the LATAM Solar Report. I was uh, not nearly uh, unique enough to come up with my own name, so... Little known, but true fact. The first episode that we recorded before I even had the name of Suncast, I was going to call it the LATAM Solar Report. That's right. I believe we actually introduced it that way. I'm going to have to go back and listen to episode one, but I'm 
pretty sure we actually refer to it as LATAM Solar Report in episode one. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's right. I should so I should be getting some royalty checks. Is that's what right. You're saying. I should have been getting some royalty checks for. That's exactly right. I'll I'll, I'll be sure to send you a, a hundred bucks or something like that. Right. So, well, Adam, a lot has changed, my friend. Five years has not only uh, been responsible for three moves for my family, but two children in yours, another, I think another two children in mine. And uh, we're four children bigger and several cities later. What have you been up to? Well, since last time I was on Suncast, uh, I think I might've been in my very first week at my new job the last time I came on at Energy Impact Partners. Um, And so I think uh, I was, I probably had a hard time even describing what I was going to be doing uh, on the last Suncast. Um, I was, I was working off of my job description, I think at that point, you know, I'm a little over two years in at, uh, at EI, here at EIP, uh, which has been fantastic and things on the family front have been great. Uh, you know, as you said, we've, we've really settled in, we moved out here to New York. It's been a wild two years. It's been a busy two years. You know, I, I feel like I have also just in, in terms of career growth or maybe personal growth, it's been less about making big changes and doing new things and more about doubling down on the things that I feel like I'm the strongest at and uh, Mm -hmm. trying to work on the things I think I'm the weakest at. And so it's been an interesting stage of life for me as well. I just think in my, in my career and in trying to figure out what I can do to, to tie back to that, you know, PPM point, what is it that I can really do to move the needle and make an impact as much as possible? Because I still feel that pressure. I have not gotten lazy or started resting on on my laurels here. I think I, in some ways I feel more pressure every single day that goes by to actually make a difference. Well, there are a few things that you've done that are making a difference and we'll cover some of them here. But those who maybe haven't tuned in to some of the older episodes, not only was Adam episode number one, but he was episode 117 back uh, released on October 4th, 2018 for our third year anniversary. And this of course is the 300th. So we've been rather productive in the last two years, uh, cranking out 117 in the first three and uh, another, I guess, 100 and what's that? 73 in the last two. And what I remember from episode 117 was that you were so new into your job that you turned the tables on me. So your creative way of dodging any questions about what your job was going to be <laughs> was you asking me a bunch of questions. So we're going to turn the mic squarely back on you. For those who don't know how you got into the renewable energy industry, could you give us the not so long answer of how you arrived at Energy Impact Partners? Well, it all makes perfect sense in retrospect. It did not make a ton of sense at the time, as so many things do. So I was in college, I was majoring in philosophy. I was really interested in a subfield of philosophy called environmental pragmatism. My professor, who I thought was a genius, think is a genius actually still uh, to this day, in addition to being a professor of philosophy, worked at the Center for American Progress doing public policy. And I kind of drank the Kool-Aid on the idea of environmental pragmatism. So what should you do about the challenges we face and, uh, and got into public policy and started working with him on international climate negotiations and then also on domestic clean energy deployment. We could spend a half hour on, on everything that was going on that, that year. For those of you who kind of remember 2011, 2012, it was, it was actually a really crazy few years to be involved in energy policy. 
and after that, I, I had a, a, a big life move. My, my wife got into Notre Dame. We moved to South Bend, Indiana. Uh, shocker, there was no clean energy policy jobs in South Bend, Indiana. So I, I actually got super lucky uh, and I'd been freelance writing for Green Tech Media for a little while and uh, got a full-time role there on their research team and stood up their Latin America deep dive kind of analytics into solar is when solar was just kicking off again, kind of just right place, right time. You know, thanks to talking to you and a lot of other folks who are uh, in the industry down there, you know, really just carved out a special little niche for myself of being the go-between on this booming, super exciting, interesting market filled with some of the best people and the big corporations who wanted to find a way to crack in. And so I got a lot of experience and exposure with uh, going in and, and helping with go-to-market strategies and talking to boards. One of the opportunities that came out of that was at Solar City, who was, who was at the time very actively looking at what they should do globally. And they kind of brought me in-house just to help them boil the ocean with the very small job of, if we could go anywhere and do anything, what should it be and what should we do? Mm-hmm. And so I, I got, again, just, I, I feel really lucky to have been uh, in the right place at the right time to get given kind of an expansive mandate like that. And I was at Solar City working on the strategy side, spent a ton of time in Latin America with them, and then rode through to the Tesla acquisition, which was also really exciting, and spent a lot of time with the folks on the executive team in the in the energy division there and, and helped with integration and a few of the other big challenges and things that, that popped up. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know, I found this, uh, I got kind of moonshot of an opportunity still still to this day. It feels wild that I, there was a job description that so ma- perfectly matched what I was interested in doing over at Energy Impact Partners. You know, I did not know a lot about Energy Impact Partners, but when I, when I applied for the job, other than the fact that they were investing in some of the companies that if I had to pick who are the top 10 companies, I think are the most interesting ones, EIP was invested in all 10 of them. And so I, I felt like there had to be something to that, you know, that they, uh, that, that their portfolio reflected what I felt like the future looked like. And so that was that combined with the fact that the role itself um, was a good match for me. And it felt like a place where I could have a lot of leverage. You know, that that was what brought me to the table here. I am sure that it helped a little bit that your colleague, Shale Khan, formerly Green Tech Media as well, was over at Energy Impact Partners. What kind of mischief are you and Shale and the folks at Energy Impact Partners getting into. Help us understand the ethos and the mission of EIP, both in 2018, when you were just jumping in, and now in 2020, how it's evolved. Yeah, well, there's really two separate questions there. What kind of mischief are Shale and I getting into? And (laughs) and what is the ethos of EIP? I'll start with the second one first. So the thing that I love about EIP is that um, it's focused on solving problems in a very practical way. So I'm a fundamentally still tying back to my philosopher's roots. I'm, I'm still a pragmatist at heart. So the EIP model, and what's special about it is it kind of brought a bunch of the existing utility and industrial players to the table. They invested a lot of capital into EIP. And then it follows a kind of a typical venture or private equity model in investing in startups. But then the special sauce really is just the work that gets done in the places of the business that we call research and strategy, and then innovation and commercialization. And those two areas, what they do is we have 
ton of headcount uh, focused and shale, shales um, leading one of these teams just on going out and finding what are the exciting companies and connecting those companies with you know kind of a workshop track um, and then on the back end we've got a team that's just focused on business development and finding opportunities for those startups to work with major industrial and utility players and so what's so special about that whole model and what I find so exciting and pragmatic about it is that it puts the question to the sword right away you say we need to decarbonize well we go and we find companies that can help with that decarbonization challenge that have commercial products that have some revenue basically companies that can get in without having to do a thousand pilots first you know in order to prove themselves out and we give them that that capital and then we also give them those connections and we help them to scale up and so there's a, a really tangible impact from working at this problem in that way. And and it's something that I just find really exciting because I think that while there's a lot of critiques of the kind of legacy players, um, legacy meaning, you know, utilities and, and other kind of big industrial companies that are involved in the energy space today, I think that, you know, as we look at how do you start meeting some of the super ambitious goals that we have, you're going to have to find ways to get exciting new technologies into the slipstream on these legacy companies. And a lot of that has to do with a culture shift and a mindset shift. So that's part of what we do that I feel like is unique and special is that we create all of this surface area exposure for folks in the utility industry and and other big industrials to see and experience and get exposure to innovation and entrepreneurship in a way that makes them feel like they want to be part of the solution and not that they're being threatened. And I've just seen pretty incredible results that coming out of that over the last two years. And, and I really think it's just the beginning. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list, but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey there, commercial solar warriors. If you listen to this show, then by now you're very familiar that Extensible Energy's DemandX load flexibility software helps close more deals and faster by shifting to lower time of use rates and saving your customers 30% annual demand charges, all at a tenth of the cost of battery-based solutions. But did you know that Extensible also has a new solar partner loyalty incentive program that rewards your sales team with a generous sales bonus? Well, for now, until the end of the year, when you complete just three successful DemandX installs, your sales team member will get a $2,500 check or vacation voucher for when we all do get to travel again. This program also applies to your past customers who already have solar and could benefit from DemandX extra savings. Just contact Extensible Energy at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast to become a DemandX reseller and get all the program details and benefits for yourself. Again, that's extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Have you been searching for that perfect rule? that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level, might I invite you to check out LightSource BP. That's right, the global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action 
locally, you can be inspired and be the change by joining LightSource BP. By choosing a career at LightSource BP, you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low-carbon energy projects. Learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers. As far as funds go, are you all investing squarely in early stage, mid stage, late stage? And is there a particular side of the hardware software equation that you tackle? So most of our deals have been in the series A, series B space, um, but we've got a few on either end as well. So we have a few that have been seed stage companies. We've got a few that have been series E or more private equity style deals. So we've had deals across that whole range and and are open to deals across that whole range. We're, we're technically you know stage agnostic. Mm-hmm. You can kind of intuit from our model, you know, for different kinds of companies where we're going to be the most effective and helpful mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times, but it really depends on the company, I think. And, you know, I think actually it's interesting. Most of our companies are software companies, which I don't know that that's by design so much, but it is definitely the way that the, the portfolio in our first fund has, has shook out. Um, the exceptions to that being some of the hardware products that I think are themselves are really cool ones like Ecobee with the Ecobee thermostats, which are, yeah. are really neat if you haven't gotten to try them out yet. And then, uh, and then Sense, which monitors home energy usage and yeah. kind of links it into your app. The Sense was so funny because, you know, I got it for my mom and her boyfriend and they installed it in their house. And they're not people who are really into energy stuff at all. And, yeah. um, and in fact, I would go as far as also to say that my, my mom is not necessarily into just looking at apps with data on them. That's not the thing that would grab her attention the most. But I got a phone call two weeks later that they had started changing when they were doing their laundry because they had gotten totally hooked on watching their energy usage and when it happened. And yeah, and had totally readjusted their behavior based on it. So it just really speaks to kind of the power of some of that Mm -hmm. hardware that it actually can get people engaged that way. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, There are a lot of companies that you all are involved in. Autogrid, Arcadia, some several uh, might recognize that. Another fellow uh, GTM alum, Mosaic, Meadow, Sense. Yeah, and it does seem that your swim lane, another company (laughs) that you guys are uh, invested in, is elevating the software side. That was one of the things that I was just really curious about, whether or not there was uh, an intention. And I, I suppose somewhere underlying it, there's an intention, but I'll leave that to the side for the moment. I did ask a separate and uh, sort of corollary question, but you and Shale are back in cahoots over at EIP. What do you guys, how do you guys partner together? Well, I definitely work with Shale a ton. Uh, So he heads up our research and strategy team. And so his, his role kind of covers a few different really interesting areas. One is about finding those exciting new companies. And Shale's obviously deeply, deeply involved in our industry. And so it's got a unique way to kind of bubble those things up. And then also just the one who's kind of helping to translate those insights back to our partners. Uh, And so he's got a gift for communication. And uh, and it's been great to get him to see that see him flex that muscle uh, in this environment. And we definitely get into 
a lot of mischief still, or a fair amount of mischief still. Um, it's definitely nice for me not having to actually report to Shale anymore. In fact, as the chief of staff, you could argue, one could argue that he technically reports into me, um, <laughs> a, a right. fact that that uh, I'll, I'll definitely throw out here since there's no way for him to refute it. But it's it's great. And, and you know, it's, it's just one of the things about EIP, but also just about our industry is that I just genuinely have met the best people working in in clean energy. I just couldn't imagine working in any other field and some of the smartest. I mean, I just, you know, it's, I, I'm somebody who definitely does not have a problem identifying my own strengths or intelligence. You know, humility mm-hmm. is not as, uh, yeah. is, uh, is, is not something that I have often had a passing acquaintance with, but I do, I do genuinely feel a lot of the times when we're, when we're working in this space that um, I'm just not the smartest guy in this room. You know, yeah. there are a lot of like smart, men and women who are working in this sector and, and thank God. And you're totally right, Adam. There's uh there's something to be said for when a guy like you feels like he's not the smartest guy in the room, this is a really, really smart room. And I'll say that acknowledging what you just said uh, about the level of and prof- sort of profound understanding that you and, and folks who've had roles like yours in the industry tend to be able to acquire and achieve. It's worth noting, and I know we glossed over it, you at Solar City, were not an insignificant peon in the overall infrastructure. I know from various conversations that you may or may not have had uh, direct influence on conversations with someone who may or may not be the CEO of that publicly traded company. But I remember just bumping into you in the Mexico office as an example and thinking, good gracious, Adam has really spread his wings here because what most people saw as Adam just sort of candid, casually walking around the Mexico office was actually you in many ways kind of running Solar City, Mexico, which I later uh, came to, to more fully understand. Now that you are you know, out of the, the Solar City Tesla infrastructure, I just interviewed Arch as well, who his episode will be coming out soon. So it's always fun oh, for me. Yeah. So fun for me to be able to talk to you guys who've had like been inside the, the inner sanctum. I would love to know what sort of catapult you feel you were able to strap on having sort of working at solar city rolling into tesla how do you feel like that experience was unique in preparing you for what you're doing now that's a great question and i'm i'm glad you got to talk to arch i'm a huge fan of of arch's and i'm really excited about a lot of the work he's doing now as well solar city and tesla shared that elon dna Mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And one of the things that anybody who's worked there, I think, will tell you if they're being honest with themselves is that part of that DNA is setting almost impossible targets mm-hmm. and then rallying the strength of the entire organization to meet those almost impossible targets. And that is a very, very, very different kind of working environment to almost anything that I have heard about anyone else doing uh, in a way that is it's exciting. It can be stressful. It can be disappointing. It, it can just, it plays every chord of human emotions to be in an environment like that one. And so I think one thing that I really took out of the whole thing was I was somebody who had spent a lot of time on strategy and not a lot of time on execution prior mm-hmm. to my time there. And it got turned on pretty quick that it doesn't matter how good your idea is how fast are you going to be able to do something about it? And then how fast are we going to measure how well you did something about it? And then 
turns out that thing is now done. It's on to the next thing. And I think that that kind of a culture where it, it pushed you to go from strategy into execution and then holding you accountable on the outcomes and then, and then moving on to the next goal, that that kind of culture actually was really good for me and, and taught me a lot of things I would not have known if I had stayed in a, in a strategy consulting style role where I was never really, at the end of the day, on the hook for what I was putting out into the world. And so it created a real sense of responsibility for me, for sure. And the other part of that, I think, is being willing to and able to make mistakes and own up to them 100%. And so, you know, one of the things I think really characterizes my working style now is that anybody who works with me, I think, would tell you that I'm willing to try new things and put things out there, even if they blow up and go really badly. And Mm -hmm. at the end of that, it's not somebody else's fault, right? It was my responsibility or it was my idea or it was my thing. But I own that, like, I think it is better to try out new things if you think they're going to be better, even if they don't go well. And even if you take a bunch of arrows at the end, because I think it's also important to kind of own the outcomes of what you of what you put out there. And so I think that 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 is something, uh, an, an attitude towards work I probably would not have had if I hadn't had so many chances to build and either fail or succeed in such rapid succession in the world of solar city tesla so that was definitely a, a, a big one the other one was i think learning how to translate the big picture down into the details of what needs to happen and so you know there's a lot of folks who really have one skill or the other they're either big picture people or they are in the weeds making it happen people and it turns out that I'm actually not great at either of those things, but I'm pretty good at both of them at the same time. And that is my one of my random superpowers is to be able to do enough of both of those things at the same time to kind of be an API between an executive team who, who really can pull the whole picture together and an operational team, even if it's spread out across a bunch of divisions who actually need to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And that slotting in to be able to be that, that API and, and really understand where both sides are coming from is the other thing that uh, got tested in the crucible in Tesla for sure. And has, I think, served me, served me well since. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's one of the reasons that Marco and and others were so uh, adamant about bringing you in and and also grooming you and and raising you up in that organization, you know, but you have also been directly involved in identifying grooming and introducing into the wild more really smart people into into the renewables uh, business. I know Shale uh, on the interchange and Jigger on Energy Gang, they're often talking about how difficult it is and, and how forlorn many of us are that there's so many smart people uh, doing relatively useless jobs compared with the overarching threat that climate change is to our world and to uh, all of our children and their children. And you created very early in your career an organization that today stands as an exemplar of the way that we can bring smart people out of otherwise productive roles and and drop them into the renewable energy space, well-equipped and uh, sort of through the side door from a job search perspective. Can you tell me about the inception and and sort of how you've uh, helped it grow this organization, Clean Energy Leadership Institute? Absolutely. Well, you know, this is my, my passion, nights and weekends for years and years. Yeah, so I, I co-founded the Clean Energy Leadership Institute seven years ago now. 
And it arose out of this moment where it was actually a little bit of a depressing time to be working in climate at, the, at, at that particular moment. Um, Waxman Markey had failed. Solyndra was the big talking point. Uh, it just, the, the energy in our space just was pretty low. Actually, it was at a bit of a low point, but it was also very clear for a lot of us who were younger and just getting started in their careers that things were going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And that you could almost see the timeline for it of 15 years ahead, 20 years ahead, there were going to have to be decisions made that will affect whether or not we survive as a mm -hmm. species. And so the idea that kind of came out of that little bit dark moment was, well, what we need is we need the right people to be in leadership roles 15 years from now. That's what we need. Yeah. And if we reverse engineer it, we could think a little bit about what it is that we want those people to have. One, we want them to be connected with each other. That's really important, actually, that whether you are in banking or engineering or running a nonprofit or in a governmental role or starting a new company as an entrepreneur, the energy industry is unique in that you need to know a little bit about a lot of different things in order to be successful. You can't actually just be really good at your one corner. Yeah. And so we had this mentality of we need to make sure that these people know each other and are connected with each other. We need to make sure that they've got the skills to really deal with the challenges that they're going to face. So there's leadership skills involved in that. There's also hard technical skills. Can you read? Can you write? Can you communicate effectively? Um, do you know a little bit about how the grid works and how finance works? Things like that. And you're going to need the leaders of today. So we need to make sure that they have got good mentorship opportunities. And so what we built was a fellowship program that started out in DC and it recruited at the time, you know, I think it was 10 was the first class. Now the classes are about 35 each uh, per cohort of the best and the brightest. And, you know, we went through this rigorous application process. And my favorite part about that application process is that one, it's so intense that I would not get through right now if I applied tomorrow. Um, but two is that the main thing is actually you have to tick all the boxes, but then the real deciding factor is how passionate you are about the problem. And if you're not passionate enough about the problem, about the solution, you actually just won't get into the fellowship, even if you look amazing on paper. And that has created this unbelievable network of alumni. And so, you know, this, the program is now running in three cities. It's in DC, Chicago, and San Francisco. We've had over 600 people, uh, fellows graduate through the program. We're expanding into five more cities over the next three years. And it's great. It's become like the Illuminati. You know, you mm -hmm. almost can't go anywhere uh, without running into someone who's who's a fellow. And and often, you know, um, people will hear about the program and then they'll find out that the person who works for them, who they think is a superstar, has already been through mm -hmm. the program. It's one of yeah. those things. And yeah, and so, you know, my theory of change that I, I still stand by today and it kind of it inspired the organization and it's, um, it's also just, I think, still really embedded within its DNA is just that, you know, we, we need one of our most valuable resources is people. And, it's, and we need to make sure that we are investing really heavily in that resource and that we are, we are accelerating people into roles where they can ma really make a difference and make an impact. And it's not just about knowing certain facts. You also have to have a set of shared values. And so, you know, these are people who are really service oriented and they're focused on each other and on building a community and on doing the right thing. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch unfold. And, and I wish I could take credit for it. But the truth is that it has been a perpetual motion machine because the group who goes through helps build the next 
years cohort. And, mm. uh, and so the community has actually built an incredible community. You know, um, I have the relatively boring job now of just raising money. Uh, but the, the community has really built something incredible. And the team, we've got a full-time staff. The team is just unbelievable. They're, they're genuine, some of the best people in the industry. That is genuinely true. I was going to ask, how is it funded? So we have a combination of sources. It's their sponsorships. And I'm really excited. We have gotten Con Ed and uh, the New York Power Authority have both come on as big sponsors just in the nice. last few weeks, which is really exciting. Congrats. That's huge. For us. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a few, a few other big ones that are kind of circling around the net. So that's one pillar of it. The other pillar is there's fees for the program. So, um, you know, there is a cost. It's usually covered by people's employers, mm. but um, because part of the model is uh, oriented around the entire model really is oriented around being accessible. If you can't pay, we've also got, you know, these payment plans where it's pay literally whenever you can. Yeah. I don't care if that's one year, five years, 10 years, or if it's not at all, we will find a way to make it work. We will find a scholarship for you. Um, If you qualify to get in the program, you're in the program full stop. So while there are, there are program revenues, that's uh, not necessarily kind of the main uh, point. And then the last one is our events. So we, we had a big conference, Empower, uh, that uh, we just ran this year virtually for the first time. It was in person last year. Uh, we normally do a 5K in the, in the before times when we can yeah. all see each other. Uh, and so that's been big as well. So um, those, are, those are the big, big places and, and individual donations are in that kind of events bucket as well. And those are really big. Yeah. Well, kudos to Becca and Rachel and the team. That's uh, awesome that you're able to get these partnerships. And I'm sure there are going to be companies and organizations listening who would want to partner. Uh, feel free to reach out to Adam or I. We can put you in touch with Becca and the CLI team. It is truly an extraordinary organization that I've just watched, like you have, blossom in a way that uh, is truly uh, awe-inspiring. Awe, awe I would love to hear, uh, it's not like picking your favorite child, obviously, because 600 folks who've come through have all gone on to do really remarkable things, but are there any particularly remarkable milestones or alum who've risen to roles that you're particularly proud of? That's a great question. I mean, I, I would have a hard time boiling it down to a handful just because Mm -hmm. let me, let me give an example maybe. So I had a really special moment a few weeks ago where one of our alumni from CLI came in and pitched for an investment uh, from EIP. And it was just, a, it was just a really special moment to get to see, you know, a rising CEO, um, who I'd gotten to know and see over seven years or so, you know, wow. from, from when they had left one of their original jobs, go from there to coming up with an idea, to building a company, to getting in and, and pitching their idea, you know, shark tank style. Uh, and so that was just, that was one little special moment, but I, I could, fill four, I could fill another 300 episodes with the stories of the things that the people are doing, because uh, whether it's drafting bills in Congress, you know, um, getting new policy passed in California, working in some of the, uh, the these companies who are like pledging to 100% renewable and carbon neutral pledges, making those things happen, you know, working to build exciting new products. Several of the EIP portfolio companies have wound up just hiring a ton of CLI alumni, which I love. That is so cool. Um, you know, we've hired, <laughs> we've hired them at EIP. So they've really, you know, it, it's been, it's been pretty cool to see that, um, 
that that class is really rising up. And, and honestly, it's one of the things that helps me put my head at night and feel like we actually might be okay coming out of this whole thing. I'd love to know what career path did you not go down, but always thought you would? Well, I might be able to give one of the more unique answers to this question, which is that I think I've never really had any idea what mm-hmm. I was going to do with myself. You know, when I was in school, I thought I was going to go and get my master's in philosophy, but that was about as far as I looked ahead. You know, when I was working uh, as a as an analyst, I, I again, I kind of just thought I would just keep being an analyst. I, it, it, it's been funny because I think I've had a very difficult time seeing where I'm going to go from here. I, I actually mm. tend to really be only able to see clearly what's immediately in front of me. But I'll give a bit of a twist on that, which is that I really have, have tried to take advantage of whatever the moment is that I'm in and, and just genuinely do my best with that. And it, and it turns out that if you do that and you maintain time and energy and connections and with other people and, and especially like stay focused on being useful to other people and being of service to other people and always taking the phone calls and yeah. always staying connected and, mm-hmm. and doing those things, not because you're trying to network and connect, but because you're actually interested in who they are and what they're up to. And if you do both of those things, if you just work really hard and you stay focused on, on service, that new opportunities will pop up and you'll, you'll kind of continue to move forward. And I hope that continues to be the case. For those who perhaps are young in their career and trying to think always about the next step or uh, the network. And I believe as Adam does that your network is your net worth. It really uh, does matter how you keep in touch with folks. Just a little insight, Adam and I, of course, have been, we've, I would consider us uh, friends and we've known each other for seven plus years. And I don't know, we probably randomly WhatsApp one another maybe once or twice a quarter, we get on the phone two or three times a year. And that often is enough to keep those relationships fresh. I feel like a lot of folks get a little overwhelmed when they think about, oh, how am I going to stay in touch with all these people? But the truth is that as long as you're intentional, as Adam said, and you are able to remember that there are folks that are meaningful to you and you reach out to them occasionally. Occasionally can be once a quarter and you're able to keep tabs. There are things that Adam and I, I'm sure, will collaborate on over the next five or 10 years, probably five or 10 months that uh, we wouldn't have been able to comprehend seven years ago, but we've been able to watch each other's children grow and we've been able to watch each other move around the country and move up in organizations. And it is so important to find, nay, to make the time to keep in touch with that circle of, of folks that you want to see how their career is growing and see how you can help them. And that is time and time again, as, as busy as Adam is, he still finds time to make introductions and, and we still find time to connect with one another and, and help one another the way we always did, the way our relationship began, which is, you know, we both had an interest in a similar market and we had uh, a time and space that we shared at a hotel or at a conference. For those who are trying to figure out how they're going to dig in and grow in an industry, whether or not you have CLI, you can manufacture the kinds of cohort that Adam and I have been able to manufacture. You know, there are folks that we all feel like we really dug in and started growing our career around the same time. Uh, and I consider that to be true for Adam and I, and I would encourage you to kind of look around if there are folks that are inspiring you that are roughly 
the same age or the same amount of time in the industry, you can reach out to them and you can make your own C-like cohort and dig in and grow together because this industry has a long way to go yet. Okay, we're going to press pause right there and come back in the next episode for the second half of this conversation with my friend Adam James, Chief of Staff at Energy Impact Partners. I hope that you are enjoying this conversation as much as I am. And I know that you're eager to go and check out all the links that Adam has been sharing about things that he finds interesting. I've shared some things as well about uh, Adam and, and Shale and others from Energy Impact Partners that I've found. You can find those resources over at mysuncast.com. You can also find social media links. You can let Adam know on Twitter exactly how much you've enjoyed thus far this episode. He's also active on LinkedIn as am I. And I would love, love, love if you would let us know on LinkedIn that you're listening. We use the hashtag Solar Warriors, so feel free to do that. Uh, we also like to use the hashtag sustainability and other such things that let everyone know what we're about in the world. And hey, if you do make your way over to mysuncast.com, why don't you check out the forward slash SBI 2020. You can see all the fun things that we are engaged in as part of this year's SPI 2020, like our weekly roundup presented by LG Solar. I hope that you will tune in to that every Friday. I also hope you'll tune in next week as on Tuesday, which is the actual anniversary five years of Suncast, we'll bring you the second half of this interview. And on Thursday, we'll have another long form interview as we do every Thursday, diving into the insights, life lessons, and so much more from entrepreneurs in the renewable industry. But that'll do it for today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>